This is the Project Leadership Podcast, providing state-of-the-art information and ideas to the project management community. Find us on the web at www.projectleadershippodcasts.com or send your emails to comments at projectleadershippodcast.com. Now, here's your host, Camper Bull PMP. Welcome to the 40th Project Leadership Podcast. In our soapbox today, we talk about change and reflection on the differing things that we need to do. In the beginning of the year, we must understand what we're doing and reflect. As project managers, it becomes vital for our ways of doing it. Our featured interview today is Michelle Schleiger, who talks more about the interaction between the Agile world and the PMBOK world and how we can work together and understand that this may be the next step in how to deal with our projects. Our new items today is a tool you can use when you're not sure what the process is going to be, when it's gray and you're unsure of where you're going to go or a situation you're unsure what you should do. Here's a tool you can use to really get some clarity for yourself, for your team, and your project. But first, here's the soapbox. And now for the Project Leadership Soapbox. The soapbox for this episode is somewhat of an apology, an explanation, and an encouragement. As you may or may not have noticed that for the last four months, there has not been a Project Leadership podcast. And there's a really good reason for that. On September 12th, my wife presented me our first son. And we've been taking some time to get to know him and to spend some time as a family. Hence the reason the podcast hasn't been going out in a while. But at the same time, I think it's important as project managers to take a step back, to take a look at what we're doing, to really understand that we are not machines and we need to take a step back, reevaluate, make some decisions and take some time to reflect. We have a tendency to go from project to project and from idea to idea and from challenge to challenge without ever stopping and saying, wait, I think there's a better way of doing this, or I think there's some other way we can do this, or is this really what I should be doing? And I've taken that several months since my son was born to really start to embrace that process, to really take a look at it. And I want to let you know that I've committed to another year of the Project Leadership Podcast, and taking that break has energized me to start thinking about it differently and bringing some absolutely spectacular guests in very, very soon. The next several podcasts are going to redefine how we really are seen in the podcasting area, but also redefine who's showing up for the various podcast, the information you're going to get in the next couple of months, I am over the moon excited about. So we as project managers need to take a step and look and see if there's a new direction. And I spent some time thinking about the Project Leadership Podcast and recognizing that there's over 30,000 of you listening to us on a regular basis. Now, this is a totally volunteer organization. No one gets paid for the podcast. No one that speaks on the podcast, there is nobody that changes hand. This is all done out of the interest in getting you information wherever you are in the world. And there was quite a bit of resistance to that in the beginning. But I found over time that we continue to reflect on we need to do better for the industry. The industry has been very helpful to me and many, many other people. And we're starting to see that more and more. And it's exciting to know that in a very short period of time, this small little idea that started to combat the recession in the United States has taken on a global membership. We have chapter members from Italy and from India and in the United States and also from other chapters around the world started to become part of that process to learn and get better. 
this is not always the easiest thing for me to do, but I believe it's important for you to get this information, and I believe it's important for me to deliver it. So more and more we look for ways of doing that. I hope you enjoy the materials, and I want to encourage you to think about spending some time reflecting on what you do. We do lessons learned for our projects all the time. How about we do a lesson learned for what we're doing now? And this is so appropriate because Michelle Sliger is going to come and talk to us about what's new, what's coming about. And some of, the, some of this information for some of you will be old hat, but for others it will be very powerful information. And I want to encourage you to take the time to reflect on what you're doing and be open to new ideas. I know I've had to been how my work schedules change and how I interact with both my clients, my customers, and, and of course you all, which I haven't done in over four months. It is something that helped me recognize what needs to be done and maybe we need to look at life just slightly differently. I hope you enjoy this podcast and I encourage you to look forward to other ones because in the long run, these are the things that will build our industry, our ideas, and our ability to serve communities better. Our feature interview. Today we have Michelle Sliger, who is co-author of the software Project Manager's Bridge to Agility. She has extensive experience in agile software development, having transitioned to Scrum and XP practices in 2000 after starting her career following the traditional waterfall approach. A self-described bridge builder, her passion lies in helping those in traditional software development environments cross the bridge to agility. Michelle is the owner of Sliger Consulting, Inc., where she consults with business ranging from small startups to Fortune 500 companies, helping teams with their agile adoption and helping organizations prepare for their changes that agile adoption brings. A frequent conference speaker and regular contributor to software industry publications, Michelle is a strong advocate of agile principles and value-driven development practices. She is a certified project management professional, PMP, and a certified scrum trainer, CST. She has an undergraduate MIS degree and an MBA. Welcome, Michelle. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so glad that you're um, doing podcasts on Agile and Agile project management so that we can help to get the word about Agile out to even more people. Well, my pleasure. We're trying to get the information out there, and uh, you were great enough to share some information earlier, so we really appreciate you coming back and talking to a little more about what uh, what you're doing and, and how Agile works in, in, in our community. Well, uh, the thing that has been really popular, at least on the discussion boards and conferences and uh, emails and all these different types of, of social media forums right now is, is a question, you know, mostly from the PMI membership, but, you know, that's on everyone's mind really is, is what happens to the project manager in an agile environment? Because what they've heard and, and, and what many people in the agile community will say is that there is no place for a project manager in Agile. So a lot of people are very concerned about this. They're concerned about, you know, well, if there's no project manager in Agile, what happens to me? What happens to my job? And then beyond that, it's, well, if there's no project manager in Agile, how do things get done? I mean, who, who's responsible? Who, who's in charge? So those are the kinds of questions that have been floating around recently that I thought that, you know, we could talk about in a little bit more uh, in-depth here today. So one of the things that I wanted to mention is, well, I have a couple of things, really. First is the notion that, that Agile is Scrum, okay? And Scrum is just one of the approaches to doing Agile development, but unfortunately, it's, 
it's been synonymous with the word agile, with the whole movement of agile, as if Scrum is the only way to be agile. And it's not. It's just one of many methods. So if you think of agile as it's really just a, a philosophy of how we're going to work together to deliver a product, and Scrum is one of those manifestations of that philosophy. So if you think of Agile as like, um, as ice cream, if you think of Agile as ice cream, and then Scrum is just one flavor of that ice cream. You know, there's chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, butter, pecan. There's a whole bunch of different flavors. So there's Scrum. There's extreme programming. There's feature-driven development. There's A-turn, which is from DSDM, uh, popular in Europe. Uh, there's crystal. I, I mean, there's lots of different flavors or different ways that this philosophy has been manifest in an approach to deliver projects uh, and products in an agile fashion. So the reason that is important is because of this notion that there's no project manager in Agile. And what is really underneath that statement is that in Scrum, there is no role or job title of project manager. And that is true. In Scrum, there's a Scrum master. There's a product owner. And there's a team. But there's no project manager. So... For a lot of folks, when they hear there's no project manager in Agile, what's really under that statement is there's no job title of project manager in Scrum, which is different. And when we look at this in more detail, then we discover that there are a lot of responsibilities that a project manager currently has that fit nicely into either the Scrum Master title or the product owner title in, in each of those roles. There are also uh, a set of responsibilities that fall outside of that. And I have worked with many teams that have a Scrum Master, a product owner, the team, just like you would expect in Scrum. And they also have a project manager who's responsible for things uh, like governance, facilities, procurement, contract negotiations, lots of things that aren't necessarily team-facing, but yet still affect the team. And, and those are the responsibilities of the project manager for that team or teams. So hopefully, you know, in our discussion here today, we can, you know, learn a little bit more about... Um, what people mean when they say there's no project manager in Agile and discover that it doesn't mean that your job goes away. It means that the responsibilities might change a bit, that the title and role that you take on might change a bit, but it doesn't mean that all of the work that you've done and are currently doing just simply goes away. It's, it's often transformed or it's uh, shared across several people. So, so that's something that I, I kind of wanted to cover today and, and hope to get rid of any misconceptions or confusion that's out there about that. Why don't you help us understand, you know, how we have a general project management rubric and now you're talking about a scrum master or some sort of agile practitioner um, plugging in uh, to the process, and maybe not be team. Maybe you, how 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 have you seen that work? Where the agile uh, plugs into um, uh, where where does it plug into the framework, or um, how does that actually? Can you get a little deeper in that? Okay. Well, um, you know, the first question that's that's often asked is, you know, we're going to be doing Scrum on the project manager. What happens to me? Where do I go? Do I become a scrum master? And the answer is, well, yeah, that, that's one of many different things that you could transition into. 
So a lot of project managers uh, will become scrum masters, and, and these are the project managers who've been working closely with the team before, um, who understand uh, the value of uh, the leadership skills that they have and uh, aren't trying to uh, use Gantt charts to micromanage, you know, every task that every person does. It's, it's a different way of managing in Agile. But it, if you look at the PMBOK or any leadership books, really, they're, they're very clear that, um, that leadership encompasses um, supporting operations for the team itself. So, in other words, you know, you're there to provide the vision, and you're there to protect the team from distractions, and you're there to give the team whatever it is that they need to get the job done, you know, in terms of, of tools, materials, facilities, and so forth. Uh, and then you have to uh, allow the team the time and the space to actually get the work done. So it's really about being able to support the team. And so individuals who uh, are more comfortable with, with that type of role uh, can slide into a scrum master role very well. For those folks who um, are more um, excited by the responsibilities in their job that tend to be more administrative-like, you know, uh, updating Gantt charts, uh, preparing reports, um, preparing uh, dashboards for executives and things like that. I mean, there's still uh, an, an opportunity to do that, but that doesn't really fit into the role of the Scrum Master. That would really be sort of a separate job as maybe a project administrator. Um, also, the project manager, if they have been focused primarily on really understanding the domain and the requirements and, and what this product is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to do, who it's supposed to serve. That type of thinking translates and, and transfers well into the product owner role in Scrum. So for those particular folks, you know, a product owner might be a better transition point for them rather than a scrum master. So you can't think automatically, well, I'm a project manager, I'll become a scrum master. It's more like, well, I'm a project manager and this is what I'm primarily responsible for and this is my skill set and what I'm good at and what I like to do. Now looking at scrum, let's see where I go. And that's just for scrum. Now if you are using, uh, say, XP, well, there's a different set of, of roles in XP. You could be the XP coach. You could be the XP tracker. Um, and then, of course, if you're using something different like uh, Crystal or Lean or Kanban, well, you don't change roles at all. I mean, you were a project manager before, and you'll, contend to be, you'll continue to be a, a project manager afterwards. So those are also um, agile approaches to development, it's just a matter of really understanding, you know, how, how are we transitioning? Uh, what method are we using to transition to Agile? And does that method have specific predefined roles and responsibilities? And if it does, then where do I sit? So I've also seen some project managers um, become program managers and they focus on PMO-level work, or they focus on work that encompasses multiple teams, either on the same initiative or on multiple initiatives. So it also depends on how you define what a project manager does in your organization. And anyone who's been a project manager and who's looked for work knows that, you know, how they define a project manager's responsibilities in their own organization. When you go out and you look at other organizations, their role of project manager might be completely different. It might be um, less responsibility 
than, than what they're used to or much more responsibility, you know, where you're in charge of multiple teams or project initiatives or um, uh, the uh, items in the PMO office that really are go-no-go decisions that you make for projects. So that's, it's all one of those, it, there's no, how do I say this? There's no black and white, cut and dried prescription for the answer to, you know, I'm a project manager, what happens to me if we transition to Agile? It, the answer is, well, it depends. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the project owner. It, it sounds like what we're doing here is kind of subdividing the traditional role of a project manager into a series of different individuals who are more focused on specific areas that we would consider an encompassing role as project manager. So talk, talk to us a little. Is that, is that a, a fair statement? Yeah, well, it, it is, I, I think. And again, it's one of those it depends types of things. Well, just talking about Scrum, remember Scrum is only one approach to Agile. In Scrum, there is a, a clear delineation between IT and the business. And, and, of course, if you take Scrum beyond software development into other projects, it, then there's the delineation, again, between the people who are creating the product and those who have been requesting the product, okay, the customer. And the reason for that distinction is goes back to software development and the issues that we ran into, you know, in, in late in the last century, and, and we still run into today, where the business tries to define not only what they want in the product, but they also try to tell those engineers creating the product how to do it. And those are the two things we want to divide. We want to allow the engineering group developing the product to have uh, full control over how to create and deliver what the product owner has asked for. So we say that the product owner who, and I should be more clear, the product owner is the individual who is representing the end user of the product and who has the authority to make decisions about that product. So usually, you know, that's, we can call that person the customer, we can call it the product owner, we can call it the product manager, we can call it the business, we can call it the subject matter expert, we can call it the user or the end user. There's a bunch of different names for this particular um, individual. But whoever it is is speaking on behalf of the final end user and has the authority to make decisions about this product. So we want that person to be in control of the what. This is what we want. And then we draw that dividing line, and then the team who is actually developing the product is then responsible for how. This is how we will build and create and offer what it is you want and need. And the Scrum Master is there to help facilitate these discussions and to then protect the team as they do their work in iterative time boxes called sprints and um, to help everyone who's involved understand the process and maintain those stopping points so that the team, including the product owner, can inspect and adapt. So. I'm not sure if they answered your question or not, but at least in Scrum, there is a, a clear division between the business and the engineering group. And others, you know, there are other approaches to Agile that do not, you know, offer that distinction. Like I said, and if you choose to use something like uh, Crystal or feature-driven development, you don't change your, your job title of project manager and, and many of your responsibilities will remain the same. Now, I've noticed that you always talk about agile development. Is this primarily a, a software development tool, or ha have, have we been using uh, agile for other things other than, than software at this point? Well, 
Agile itself um, was created as uh, with a focus on software development. So if we think in terms of Agile, if we think in terms of the broad ice cream, right, that was, that focus was on software development. And you can see that if you go out and, and look at agilemanifesto.org, which is uh, a site that includes the results of um, a conference that was created to pull these folks together who were at that time laboring under the label of uh, lightweight software development. So it was a group of, of software developers, and they created Agile um, as a way to deliver software products in an iterative and incremental fashion using constant feedback loops. But what we found is that there are a lot of ways to use some of these particular uh, manifestations of Agile. And, you know, I, I also say manifestations or methods or approaches rather than methodology because it, particularly with Scrum, we're, we're pretty clear with Scrum that that's a framework, that it is not a methodology because of the connotations. With methodology, you think, okay, there should be a very prescriptive step-by-step -step instruction about what to do in, in every situation or in most situations. So it, with Scrum, it's not like that. It's, and with mo most of these agile approaches, it's not like that. So we try to avoid the use of the word methodology. Michelle, when we talk about agile development, we, we talk about uh, the word development and I've heard mostly in, you know, software development process. Is it truly in a software development process, or is the agile methodology or framework in a broader sense? Is it working um, in, other, in other areas? Okay. So I've, I've covered the intent then of agile. And then, yes, so agile in general, that philosophy was meant for software development. And a lot of these approaches do not have to be restricted to just software development. Some of them are definitely aimed at software development and software development only. Extreme programming is an example of that. That is a set of technical practices that software development teams can use, and really nobody else can. Is they're really aimed, they're things like paired programming is one of the techniques, and you're not going to find that in non-software projects. But Scrum, as another example, is one of those that can be applied to projects that have nothing to do with software development. Stacia Viscardi, my co-author, and I used Scrum when we wrote our book. We created a backlog of chapters, uh, we put them in priority order. We were each product owners for certain sections of the book. We worked in sprints that were one month long. We would have a sprint planning meeting at the beginning of the month where we would talk about um, our ideas around what we were going to write for the chapters with each other. We would share some information. We, you know, I might have an article that might help her. She might have some insight that might help me. We take that month, go write the chapter, exchange the chapters closer to the end of the month, and we would then edit each other's work, pass it back, and get the final edits done so that by the end of the month, we would have a final review of the chapters that we said that we would write. That's our, our demo, our review. And then we would have a quick retrospective, what worked good about uh, this particular sprint, um, what what was difficult for us, you know, we we realized that we couldn't have daily stand-ups that wasn't going to work for us. So we would have uh, calls three times a week, and we wouldn't have a set time. It would just depend on our schedules. So we would inspect and adapt as we went, which is what you're supposed to do. So you can use Scrum for things that are non-software, uh, related, and there are others that you can do that as well. You know, Kanban is is one example. You, 
Kanban is, is more a part of the lean movement, which um, has sort of separated from, not separated, but is, is really sort of separate from Agile, but it embodies a lot of the same basic values, that we're trying to deliver value, that we're going to do that through making the work that we do highly visible, that we're going to do that by limiting the work that we have in process, that we're going to uh, actively seek customer feedback and team feedback. We're going to seek all forms of team or, or all forms of feedback as we go through the process and build learning in as we go so that things get easier and easier for us. We're going to have a process that we're going to be able to change to better suit our situation and to better help us realize our ultimate goal of delivering value to the customer early and often. So Lean wants to do this. Agile wants to do this. So you'll you'll hear me saying, you know, talking about uh, Lean and Kanban uh, quite a bit, which are Lean approaches to product development. And in the same breath that I talk about Agile, because I believe that their their underlying value systems are the same. So all of these can be applied in non-software, which is one of the reasons why PMI moved ahead with their new Agile credentialing program, because they, they realized that this isn't just an uh, approach to delivering software. It is a viable approach to delivering any type of product or service. There are sites called um, uh, Lean Construction, so Lean is in use in construction projects. Um, Scrum is being used by uh, a venture capital company to run their operations. And that venture capital company, by the way, only invests in other companies that are using Agile and um, mostly Scrum to run their business and produce their products. And there is uh, Scrum in church. Jeff Sutherland, one of the co-creators of Scrum, his wife is a minister. And she uses Scrum to help churches run their day-to-day business, to help them with their membership, with their uh, community initiatives, uh, with their facilities, day-to-day operation, with their finances, and just help them run their organizations. So... Uh, hopefully that answers your question that that Agile as a whole was written for software and the different approaches that are considered Agile can often be used for projects that are non-software related. Great. So what we're talking about here is really kind of an evolution of the project management process. Um, and a lot of the things that we do as project managers, you're going to need to do in an agile environment. And I'm, I'm less talking about the physical Gantt chart processes and the more talking about dealing with the team and dealing with the um, project owner and things like that. All of those are really very similar. Um, what, what are kind of the things that come to mind as the, the, the required skills or techniques um, that, you know, a agile person would really need, and how well do they fit with what we think of as a, as a project leader? Well, you know, that's a really good point I'd, in, in terms of, you know, the project management role transforming. A lot of the way that, and maybe it's because I've been doing this for so many years, and I started off as um, a traditionally trained project manager uh, using the PMBOK guide to help me as I worked on these waterfall-type software projects. I, a lot of the things that I did that I thought made me a, a, a good project manager then are the same types of things that we expect in Agile. I, I think really these are all things that, you know, that, that have been there in, in the PMBOK um, in terms of leadership, um, uh, the, the types of, of 
you know, tracking tools that you can use. And all of that has been there. The, the real difference, I think, is just trying to break out of some of the dysfunctional systems that have built up over the years. So you've got um, a system where an error occurred. And, and rather than, um, you know, talk about the error and handle it with some, some common sense type of approach, the, the knee-jerk response is to create an, another rule uh, or a, a new process step that everybody has to follow to ensure that this error doesn't happen again. And you let that build up and that same type of knee-jerk response to every error to keep adding rules, to keep adding process. And before you know it, you've got, it's like a snowball that's rolling downhill and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what Agile has really tried to do is strip away a lot of that and, and bring back a common sense approach to say, well, you know, we've had a problem. What do we want to do about it? And not necessarily have the, the only answer be to add another process step. So if you strip all that away and take us back to, you know, where we originally started with the notion of, of project management, then it's, it's almost to me like we've, we're trying to come full circle. We're trying to strip away the bureaucracy and allow people to do the jobs that they were meant to do, that the Project Management Institute was, was founded to um, promote. So this notion of of leadership of, uh, as opposed to being uh, a command and control micromanager, which is the kind of manager you have to be in a system that's broken. So that, that's the other thing. We, just because someone is, is acting in sort of a command and control fashion, that doesn't mean that they can't be a good agile leader. It simply means that they are responding and working in a way that uh, they have to in order to survive in that particular system. So what we want to do going forward is really help people change those dysfunctional systems and put the control back into the hands of, of the people who are actually doing the work rather than um, telling them, you do this, saying, you are the expert in this. You are the knowledge worker, as Peter um, Drucker would say. You're the knowledge worker. You have all this information. You've been to school for this. You've got experience in this. Here's the problem that we're having. So how can you help us? What do you think we can do to fix this problem or to provide a solution? So in order to help these knowledge workers be able to be creative in, in, in the way that they come up with solutions to these problems, we need to be more servant leaders, right? And a servant leader is a term that was coined by Robert Greenleaf back in the 1970s. And the notion around that is that you're there to do the, whatever it takes, you know, that's, of course, legal and ethical. <laughs> I have to put that disclaimer in. But you're there to do whatever it takes to help your team succeed in their mission. So that, it's, let's see, I actually think I have a quote here from Robert Greenleaf. Yeah, I do. Okay. Servant leadership is a practical philosophy which supports people who choose to serve first and then lead as a way of expanding service to individuals and institutions. Servant leadership encourages collaboration, trust, foresight, listening, and the ethical use of power and empowerment. Right now, that's, that's a, a quote from Robert Greenleaf, and it, it's spelled just like it sounds, Greenleaf. It means making sure that your, your team needs come first, that, that you, you give your team the freedom to do the best work that, that they possibly can, and, and you foster uh, the personal growth of your team members, um, and you work on mentoring these future leaders. It, in Agile, it's really about shifting your mindset from command and control to 
servant leadership, and, and you do that by starting to ask yourself different questions. Like instead of instead of asking, how can I make sure everyone is utilized at 100%? It's sort of a command and control question. You, you want to ask yourself, how can I assist the team in helping them to maximize throughput? Then instead of asking yourself, how... Uh, are we on schedule and on budget and having that be the number one question in your mind? The number one question should be in an agile environment, are we working on the most important thing that will provide value to our customer? Instead of asking, how can I reward each individual's performance? You need to start asking, how can we best recognize the team's accomplishments? So it, it really is sort of a, uh, a method that has, uh, I don't know how to describe it other than what uh, Greenleaf has already done so well. It's, it's servant leadership where you, you foster collaboration, you, you mediate, you negotiate, you protect the team, you remove roadblocks, and you create a safe environment, and, and this is critical, creating a safe environment that allows for the team to experiment and be creative and fail often in that creative process, but they fail early rather than work on something that they believe will work for months and months and months. And at the end of the year or the second year, you deliver a product that doesn't work or doesn't meet expectations. You're going to know whether or not you're on the right track within the first month or two in an agile approach. So, sure, it, it, Agile doesn't eliminate failure. It just simply moves it further to the front so we can fail fast and and then make course corrections as a result. And, and having a safe environment that allows the team to create um, and demonstrate what they're building um, is critical to that. And the only person who can do that is the project manager or the scrum master or the coach, you know, it, it just depends on what what particular approach you're using. And really what we're talking here about is stripping down a lot of the uh, process that's been created to make sure that we're focused on the team, the team's existence, and how well they can get their work done. Right. And we want to make clear that we're not eliminating all process, because that's another common misconception that's out there. It's like, oh, we're agile now, so we don't have to do any documentation anymore. Or, oh, we're agile now, so we don't do any planning, and you'll get it when you get it. Right? I mean, I, I hear these myths or misconceptions quite a bit, and that's not what agile is at all. I mean, we, we're very disciplined in, in our approach. Um, so disciplined, in, in fact, that many people find it difficult to transition to Agile. It's, it's not for everyone. It, it's, it's hard to do. Uh, but being able to, um, to do these things, to, to apply yourself in a way that only has a process just enough to allow the team to, to get the ball moving forward down the field, as we say in Scrum, is enough to get the team started and then just have the basic checkpoints to stop and inspect and adapt. If you look at um, Lou Schuhart's plan, do, check, act, and that's what Agile is. You plan and then you do something. But those cycles for planning aren't months long. They're 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 more like days or weeks, and then you do something right away, a little piece of the final product, and then you inspect it. Is, are we going down the right path? Is this what the customer wants? Is, is this the best way to create this thing that we're delivering? And then you get that feedback and you act on it, and acting on it sometimes means changing the requirements. It sometimes means changing the process, but all of Agile is focused on, on that right there. And that same notion of plan, do, check, act is also in the PMBOK. So this is, you know, for people who are confused about, you know, I, I don't understand why PMI is supporting Agile. 
it could be that you're just not familiar enough with Agile and its its practices to understand that it, it is, in fact, in keeping with the same project management philosophy that PMI has. In many ways, what we're talking about here is kind of the, the process of, of getting back, focusing on team, but also really a whole different way of thinking and talking about motivating your team, aren't we? You're, you're, you're giving opportunities for people to have a lot more autonomy in, in what they do or what they're thinking about. And yeah, well, I can, we can do the, this little experiment right now with the folks that are listening. If you take a minute to think about, say, the last uh, project that you worked on that you really enjoyed, the, the, the thing that had you jumping out of bed in the morning, you didn't even need the alarm clock, right? You just hopped right out of bed. You were excited about going into work. You, were, you looked forward to it. Uh, there was no dreading things. There was no looking at the clock to see, you know, when can I leave and go home. Time just flew by. And if you think back to the time that, that you were really enjoying your work, and you think about what was it about that that, that made it so enjoyable, and try to come up with, like, one word that describes that and we give people a little time to think about that and, and I'll do this in, in classes and lectures and workshops and and after a minute or two and I'm dragging this out a little bit so people who are listening can be thinking about this and come up with their own word after a second or two people I'll, I'll just ask okay what give me a word that describes the reason why you were so happy and the words that are shouted back to me are things like um, purpose, uh, teamwork, uh, recognition, satisfaction, challenge, uh, importance. And, and you get a, a, a really interesting set of words, and, and none of them have to do with salary, bonus, health care, right? These are the things that we're currently using to motivate employees in, in our industry. And the thing that really gets people excited about going into work is the opportunity to work on something challenging for a greater purpose with a terrific group of people so that they're given the opportunity to be creative and solve a problem and truly help Everybody wants to help, and this gives them the opportunity, if the environment is set right, to be able to do that. That's why you have a lot of people who really enjoy Agile a lot, because it finally gives them the chance, rather than being told what they need to do, they're told about the problem and offered a seat at the table to help solve that problem. And, and that right there is, is the big mindset change. So I think it's, it's really important to recognize that. And as a leader, those are the things that are going to motivate your people, the opportunity to be creative, to work together, to have meaningful work, um, and to work towards a, a greater purpose. A terrific book on this is uh, Drive by uh, Daniel Pink. I, I couldn't recommend the book more than that to really understand what it is that motivates people and and how, as a leader, you can create an environment that allows for um, these types of activities to to occur to, to be able to foster that environment for them. In fact, that what Daniel Pink talks about a lot about is the real need for not only flow but the ability to determine what you're going to do, the uh, av yes. availability for you know you to get up in the morning and not have a prescribed area but really understand the requirements and needs and make some decisions there um, one of the reasons i'm really excited about really understanding agile is because it may solve a lot of our motivation problems in in projects where people just come and think it's drudgery but um, 
if we change the way we look at it, there, there's, a, there's a possibility that we don't have to always come and try and figure out how we're going to motivate our team today if they are actually motivated by the process. So Yeah, that's absolutely true. One of the things I'm really interested in is, is how Scrum and or any Agile process is, is really a different way of looking at how you excite, interest, and motivate a team of people to get some work done. Well, if you look at the Agile Manifesto, one of the basic principles uh, around the Agile philosophy, and, and I'm probably not going to quote it correctly, but I've got the gist of it, is that you, you build teams around motivated individuals. You give them the tools they need to do their job, and then you support them as they do their job. That's, that's part of the Agile Manifesto. So it really is. I mean, and this isn't new stuff. If you look at uh, Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, I mean, way back in the, I believe it was the 40s, I could be wrong, but they, they set aside a group of people, separated them from the rest of the company so that they would have the focus that they needed so they wouldn't have the distractions that, and they wouldn't be beholden to all of the process that the rest of the organization had to follow. So they, they, and they gave them a very clear vision. Here's what we need and, uh, in terms of a fighter jet, and here's why we need it. Right? They were you know, using it in the war. And, so these, so, and, and here's when we need it. So they, they gave them the vision of what we need. They explained why it was needed and its critical importance. And I said, yeah, and here's when we need it, by. So here you are. Here's your space to do the work. We'll give you anything that you need to get the job done, and we'll get out of your way. And, and that was, you know, that's sort of the, uh, a, a terrific example for what we're trying to do in Agile is to provide the vision, the reason. There's usually a deadline involved or there's a budget involved and, and then, you know, put these people together and let them do what they do best. And the power of that also is, is instead of having a, an individual, whatever you call them, whatever title they have, who is feeling the pressure of the process because he or she has not communicated well to the, to the organization, You've brought the organization in. You've, you've explained to the team exactly what needs to be done. And then you give them the opportunity to work the problem with you and um, therefore have a great deal more ownership in not only the answer but also the pr problem. That's right. So, um, How does the agile, you know, project managers have a lot of uh, now virtual teams or broader teams. It is, of course, more difficult to do it in a broader team, but uh, what are you finding is the, the answers to more of a team, a dispersed team in the Agile world? Again, you know, team size is going to vary. If you're, if you're using an approach like Kanban, there's, there's no limit on team sizes. I just finished an engagement coaching a Kanban team, and there were 20, 21, 22 people on that team. No team size restrictions for that. But Scrum, on the other hand, is a little bit more particular. And they limit your team size to seven plus or minus two people. And the way you scale in Scrum would be not by adding people to the team, but by adding new teams. So a, a project could consist of, you know, if it has uh, 50 people in it, it probably has six or seven scrum teams as part of it. And then if you're a project manager, part of what your job is going to be is to help the scrum masters of all of these teams coordinate across so that when, when each team might be depending on the other team for certain pieces of the product, that they're in keeping with that, they understand the release plan, and that there is an integration plan and, and that integration happens on a regular basis rather than at the end of the project to make sure that all the teams are coordinating well. So you can scale up 
any of, of these approaches, either using the traditional methods that you're used to, say for in Kanban, for example, or through the method of having smaller teams and then grouping them together into projects, which is what we do in Scrum. If I recall correctly, Microsoft had a, uh, a Scrum project for uh, Visual Studio. So that particular project where they were creating Visual Studio um, had several hundred people as part of that project. They used Scrum, and these people were uh, on different continents. So they were scattered all over the globe. So there are different issues that you have to contend with if you're using geographically distributed teams. You have to contend with those, whether you're waterfall or agile or, or you know, whatever particular process you use. Those issues won't go away. And just because you're suddenly following an agile practice doesn't mean that you know, you're not going to have any problems with distributed teams. You still need the tooling that helps you to collaborate as, as much as possible, and people's hours are going to be a little bit strange, you know, as you try to work out ways to actually all get on the phone at the same time. But it can be done, and there are teams and companies that are, that are doing it quite successfully. If you go to any of the Agile conferences, Distributed teams is often a track all to itself where people talk about the different techniques that they've employed in order to make their distributed team work well for them. And it's, there's lots of different things that you can do. That'd probably be a whole other call. I want to thank you very much because I think this really clears up a lot of the questions and conversations around, you know, agile is different or agile is just the same. I think a lot of the things that we learned as project managers and we've learned over the time can be used and but the advantage of this is that it is just a different way of thinking and of course change is always challenging so we just need to continue to have these conversations so that we can help project managers understand that it's not necessarily a different it is a different way of doing it but it's not necessarily something that we we, we are completely obsolete in we have lots of tools and techniques that we can take in, but it's more on the the team side than on uh, on a rigid methodology side. And I think that may be where some of the confusion is. Absolutely, it it really is just a change in it, a mindset change. I mean, that's the critical thing. Is if you go into agile thinking that. I'm just going to adopt some Agile. I will take these existing practices and I will replace them with Agile practices and then verily we will be Agile. You won't be. It won't work that way. It has to include the mindset change so that you understand the underlying intent, that philosophy that is Agile. And I think for a lot of folks, um, it's going to be like a light bulb went on. It's going to be like, oh, this makes so much sense. Why haven't we been doing this like this all this time? I, and I, I'm here to try and, and bridge that gap for those folks who get it and who don't get it and to help them understand that, you know, it, it, it really is a, a better way of working. And it's not only better for them, it, it's better for the team, it's better for the customer. And it's better for the company. So, you know, Thank you so much for, for having me and, and allowing me to share some of my knowledge and experience about Agile. I appreciate it. Michelle, thanks so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. New items. Our new items today is a tool that I've used in the past and I'd like to share with you. We as project managers have a tremendous amount of responsibility and therefore with a tremendous amount of responsibility and the large budgets that we have we have a tendency to be put in situations most business people don't have as much experience with and and there are ethical issues that come up on a regular basis and PMI has attempted to deal with that through their 
professional responsibility and their ethics conversations. And if you haven't engaged in the ethics organization, um, the community of practice for ethics, I really encourage you to do that. It will expand your mind and help you understand some of the nuances that you may have challenges with in, in your career. But one of the tools I found actually comes from another organization I belong to called Rotary International. And on many situations, there are small and large decisions that we're called upon to make relatively quickly. We don't have time to sit back and think about ideas or the ability to get uh, multiple opinions and get legal opinions or whatever. We as project managers are used to and should be making decisions on a regular and consistent basis. The challenge with that is, is sometimes we may not have all of the information and we certainly need some sort of tool to be able to make that information much more effective. So what do you do when you're put in a position where you have to make a decision and, and it's not necessarily against the ethics or against the rules of business and it's not necessarily illegal but it's not completely white either. We as project managers live in a tremendous amount of gray and it can be a little towards the black or a little towards the white but it's still a lot of gray. We deal with uncertainty and our jobs are to make that uncertainty as simple as possible, as direct as possible, and to help our people move forward. But sometimes we need tools as well. So Rotary International has a very interesting little test that you can apply to practically anything and it helps not only give you a clear indication of where you want to go, but also it helps kind of clarify some decisions that you may or may not need to make. And the, the decisions that the conversation revolves around the four-way test. And it's a four-question test. And if you can answer yes to all four questions, then you should do it. If you can't, you probably shouldn't. It's that simple. So what are the four questions? Well, the four questions, the first is, is it the truth? We as project managers have to be able to deal with truth, have to be able to give truth to power. You're not really a project manager until you can deliver bad, truthful news to the senior management. In fact, I've, I've written and spoken quite a bit about being able to say no is the first time you actually become a project manager. So the first question, is it the truth? Is what we're thinking about doing, saying, or acting truthful? The second question, is it fair to all concern? We as a project manager need to deal with competing organizations, egos, ideas, and problems regularly. And the challenge becomes, how do we deal with that and make it fair. We as project managers on a regular basis have to weigh various needs, requirements, and ideas. I mean, how many times have you had to ask people to stay late or to come in on weekends? Is it fair? Is then the second question. The third is, will it build goodwill and better friendships? Most people come to work for a paycheck what we get next is all about what relationships we've built. And we have to always think about how we can continue to build those relationships. Do you come in on your weekend as well just to make sure there's bagels and donuts available so that they're working? Do you know what their family requirements and needs are? Do you know that someone needs to go home to take care of uh, an elderly parent or child care? And maybe you need to work around that. But it needs to continue, every action we need to do needs to continue to build goodwill and better friendships in an organization. And finally, will it be beneficial to all concerned? Now this is really interesting. So we've talked about truth, fairness, goodwill, and now benefit. The ability for us to continue to create jobs, ideas, and better environments 
and therefore it must be beneficial to all concerned. Now, the benefits can be a whole series of things. They may not just be one or the other. And therefore, some will be employment, some will be a product, and some may be financial remuneration. But all in all, it's important to be beneficial to all concerned. So when you get in a situation, ask these four questions. Is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? All of these quick questions will help you in clarifying your ideas and delivering better and better processes. The power of the four-way test is it's requiring you to ask questions of yourself and asking your conscious and subconscious to answer those questions. Therefore, clarifying exactly what you need to do and giving you a framework to deal with some of the grayer areas in the world. This won't work for everyone all the time, but it's a great simple little measuring stick to see should I be worrying about this or should I take the higher road. I would encourage you not only to use it yourself, but teach it to your teams. The four-way test is a powerful tool that gives us the ability to get clarity, to get understanding, and to move in the direction that will benefit ourselves, our customers, and our projects. So take a look at the four-way test. There is a website called thefourwaytest.org, which gives all sorts of information. You do not have to be a Rotarian to use it. It is a powerful tool that will give you a good me measuring stick for your process. Enjoy. We do not endorse the items mentioned in the segment. We just wanted you to be aware of what is available. Please use your own good judgment. The Project Leadership Podcasts receives no remuneration for presenting these items. Thank you for listening to the Project Leadership Podcast. Find us on the web at www.projectleadershippodcasts.com or send your thoughts and ideas to comments at projectleadershippodcast.com. Thank you for listening.